My name is William Del Pilar. Some of you know me as a fantasy sports pioneer who helped commercialize the, the industry, not the internet, the industry. And you probably found me because of Sports Grumbling. My passion is politics. Thus, the podcast fired up. But I am not the expert in all things. So I want to bring on the expert in the jungle primary that took place. And no, people, that is not a racist term. Get off your high horse. It's a term that was given to our primary system. But without further ado, let me introduce my sidekick here, Ms. Karen Roseberry. Karen's been on here a, a few times. What you need to know and understand about Karen, she's an activist. She's feminine. Uh, She's an activist. She's a feminist, but in a good way. And she's what you would call a strong conservative woman uh, who holds her own, speaks her mind, and is extremely knowledgeable. And the obvious, she's an activist. Karen, welcome again. And we just spoke a few nights ago, and we're back at it. How are you? Doing great. Thank you, William. I appreciate the opportunity to come back on Fired Up. Uh, I don't know that the California was completely fired up during the election, but uh, there was at least an election that took place and there were some votes that were cast. So uh, it's a nice chance to come back and uh, sort of uh, do a little autopsy on what we had talked about uh, before the primary race and uh, kind of jump in to dissect a few of the things that uh, have transpired and have come out of this race to also give us a glimmer of what we can expect in the next few months and uh, in the general election in November. Karen, are you like me? Uh, come the week of, but usually the day of, I get, I don't want to say inundated, but I get a dozen emails or phone calls. Uh, hey, who do you like here? Who is this guy? What about this race? I've never heard of this. Or that. And I don't mind doing it. Obviously, it's good for the ego. That's just human nature. But in the back of my head, there's this little voice. Uh, look, man, you should know this. But in their defense, that's what I had to do myself over the last few days. As I, as I told you off camera, I haven't really been paying a lot to the races. And uh, there was one local race I left blank because and it, it's, an, it's an uber important race it, it, when it determines. But I've come to the belief now, if you don't earn my vote and the Republican candidate, the only reason he got endorsed was because he was the only Republican candidate. He's actually a swamp creature, an establishment. He tells us he supports gun rights, but then uses GRVOs, which is a tactic to use to take guns, you know? And the other one spoke all the right things, but is a Democrat and agreed with one of the Uber leftists in our state, Juan Vargas, about policy. So I'm just leaving it blank. And ironically, it's obviously the sheriff's race down here in San Diego, but it's the second cycle I left it blank because there's no way I, I would vote for the Ruby Ridge murderer in our former sheriff. He was a guy, uh, Bill Gore. Uh, uh, and rumor is that, that well, not rumor, uh, a lot of people say he's one who gave the word to fire on the woman and her, uh, her child at Ruby Ridge. I, I don't know if you're aware of that, but it's a big deal over here, you know, and, and his opponent and the two opponents were just terrible. So sometimes we get bad candidates and, and, and my take since 2012, since Mitt Romney is, I do not vote for uh, uh, an R simply because it, it's an R because I truly believe the reason California is in this mess is because we, we, we've gone, well, that R is better than the dam. And the reality is the R's, when you do that, all you're doing is encouraging more of the same. And, and I think that's why the, we're in the Biden regime. It's because of that. And I think it's because the state of California is in the state it is. But all this is cyclical. This isn't like the first time it just happens. Any uh, thoughts, any overall thoughts on this election cycle for the jungle primary you want to let the audience know? Well, I, I do think that uh, we saw 
pretty much what we had kind of expected going in, at least right before the election. There were maybe a couple of things that uh, were, were hoped for that, that uh, didn't quite go uh, the way that were anticipated. But I mean, first and foremost was the fact that voter turnout remained incredible incredibly depressed and very low. Uh, I think that, you know, we're going to see this come in probably under 30, um, you know, in terms of, of voter turnout once all of the ballots are cast. I think I was still seeing 19% uh, up until um, actually uh, primary day. So obviously, you know, the, there's still the, those final ballots that are in the mail that are going to be delivered. There's the folks who did go in to vote in person, though that seemed to be a little lower than uh, maybe even was expected as well. So I think that, you know, uh, the, the turnout certainly um, is different than what we've seen in, in several of the last races. And so, you know, the, the results that come from that, I think that, uh, you know, the congressional candidates in, in California that, uh, you know, were expected to advance, um, especially on the Republican side, um, primarily and largely did so. Uh, you know, uh, the Garcia race actually um, turned out uh, to be uh, pretty strong in his favor. And I think that that's uh, going to bode well uh, for him going forward. And, and that's a congressional that he, race, correct? Right. These are the congressional races. So, you know, Young Kim advances, Michelle Steele advances, kind of all of those that, that we kind of figured, you know, would a couple of them, you know, um, maybe had a little bit more contested of a primary. But uh, overall, uh, we see the advance and the march forward uh, for those congressional seats being kind of the, the focus for what we're, we're going to be seeing. Uh, as we sort of jump into some of the uh, the more specific races that we had discussed previously, uh, you know, I, I might go a little uh, out of order than what we initially discussed, but uh, you know, I, I do think that uh, if we look at that AG race um, for starters, you know, uh, when, when we last talked, uh, we were kind of thinking that you know maybe maybe Schubert could sort of you know slide down the middle of the split between Hotchman and Early. And uh, we also talked, though, that there was a, a, a little after uh, we, we spoke, a Berkeley poll that came out that suggested that split probably was not going to happen. And that Berkeley poll seemed to be pretty much dead on. Uh, so we are still seeing a few votes um, get counted. And it's still fairly close between Hotchman and Early. But uh, right now, Hotchman seems to be um, edging out. And that's about the only uh, state what race, race. What race is that? That's for the attorney general. So that's Nathan Hodgman, Eric Early, and Anne-Marie Schubert uh, were the contenders that we had previously discussed and uh, how that played out. So I, I know uh, Eric Early is still hoping for a, a last surge of the very conservative Republicans that, that may have uh, favored him. Uh, Hodgman was cautious, but basically issued a statement that uh, suggested that uh, he was the one that was going to advance against Bonta. And it's, it's pretty much the only state race that I, I see uh, there being uh, a lot of talk about, um, despite the fact that Laney Chan actually did very, very well in the controller's well, race. Yes, yes. And did. so, you know, there will be more talk about him uh, going forward uh, in this. But uh, the the public safety narrative um, that came from the attorney general's race is, is a wave that is still trying to be to be written uh, as we go into November for the congressional candidates. And it was a, a nice piggyback on one of the other races that we discussed. And that was the recall up in San Francisco for Chesa Boudin, which succeeded uh, with a 60% uh, over 40%. Right. So uh, th that was a, a, a very strong showing for 
the, the kind of the law and order and a public safety, or at least a a change away from you know uh, Boudin's tactics and Boudin's um, just hyper partisan what he calls reforms, but in reality is just a lack of prosecution of crime. All right, Karen. I'm a data guy. Uh, uh, I'm not unprepared, but I don't have these notes in front of me. But I've always been a political junkie, and I always look at the numbers, especially since 2015 when I got heavily involved. And I got to be honest, every cycle, right around 30, 35%, anything above that was seen as high turnout. I think with the ballot harvesting, we assume we're going to get the same thing. But I think Democrats are smart. These are primaries. They don't really need to work their schemes until the general when it all finally counts for those final results. So I do, I agree with you. I think we're going to see about 30, 35%. But in the past, that was the normal number. But I do agree that it's apathetic for the, for the simple reason everything that's happening in this country, even at the national level, affecting California, uh, Chesa Bodine, the, the lack of law and order, I would have thought just naturally based off that, the school shootings, guns, I thought all of that would have driven all this up into we're looking at a primary with about 40 to 50 percent. So so it is apathetic, I'm agreeing, but I, uh, I think some of these analysts around the country who talk 80 percent, I'm like, what races have you been looking at except for the 2020 elections? Meaning you're putting what could possibly become an outlier as the norm, but that's what politicians do. Well, the recall race was at about 62%. Um, and that was the last race where we had everyone getting a, a vote by mail ballot. And really this particular race is aligning much closer to the 2014 gubernatorial primary race that was one of the lowest actually in the state. Uh, so if it comes in at 24%, then th that is kind of a historic low turnout. Admittedly, I, I agree that the 2020, you know, presidential November election was one of the highest turnouts and, and may in fact exactly turn out to be that outlier. Uh, you know, we certainly do not usually see elections in the 75, you know, percent range that 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 is certainly high. Uh, but presidential elections and even some of the uh, generals in a gubernatorial year can definitely be in the 60s. Um, a primary race, though, is, is usually does have that, that depressed turnout. Again, usually not quite in the 20s, which is where this you know, looks to be headed, uh, usually more so that 35, you know, ish, you know, percent margin, uh, you know, possibly even 40. So I, I do think that this is a, a low turnout, even for a primary, but uh, agreed that it, it shouldn't be being compared to the November 2020 election, or even the November 2016 presidential elections. All right, perfect. Let's get to Chesa Bodie. And you kind of touched on him. I expected a close race. This was not a conservative movement or Republican movement to recall him. They were not leading the charge. This was led by a former supporter of his. Uh, as I told you off camera, you can bleep on somebody over and over, but eventually that person's just going to get tired. And it did, it, it, I mean, some people will sit there and say, well, yeah, this has been going on since 2019. Of course you're tired. I thought it would take longer. I thought we're looking at five, 10 years. But the crime, uh, the crime wave, that literally happened overnight, I think sent him home. And I think what also hurt him to get to that 60% number is the fact once these crimes hit these high-end jewelry stores, they once they hit 
the rich person's hangouts, I think that even created more disparity in the voter. But I was expecting a closer race. Uh, the final question I want to ask you about is, in looking at the data, or rather hearing it being talked about, a lot of his yes, or a lot of his keeping him in office votes, along with his original uh, uh, run, were by a lot of the rich white folks or well-off upper middle income folks. Uh, it was literally dominant in those areas, but this go around, he lacked the working class vote. What do you think of that analysis and your overall thoughts? I think that it was a little bit more than that. I think honestly, it was much more a split within the the Democratic Party. I think that you saw when 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 London Breed, you know, was willing to at least you know throw some shots his way at the fact that his management of the district attorney's office was just not effective. When when you had kind of those mainstream Democrats, you know, coming out and questioning and, and not backing um, his plays and, and certainly not happy with his leadership and the fact that you saw the rises in crime, you saw, you know, the, you know, just the continued drug use that's there and just so many occasions time and time again of, public safety getting worse and worse in San Francisco and really even in those those neighborhoods where you know maybe you know it's not the utmost elite I, I'm not familiar with the, the the data that you're suggesting and I, I don't know that we have the breakdown yet of of the votes that that came for for this particular race with the, the 60 40 split I don't dispute it I don't doubt it but I do think that he lost uh, a lot of his base uh, how wealthy and what the socioeconomic status was of that I'm not sure but it's still at San Francisco so that, that's going to be a, a little higher and and we have to think about who was actually voting in this primary, San Francisco did see a little bit of an uptick. Um, so this recall, I think, actually did drive a right. few more people out um, than we saw across the state. You know, a good rule that any third world country survivor or somebody who's lived in a third world country for many years will tell you is these type of elections, those who aren't affected by the policies will stick with their guy. And those people in gated communities and their ivory towers they likely stuck by their guy. I agree with you. We don't know until the breakdown happens, but he lost the votes that wanted the unicorn utopia in there where they live at it. And it just got progressively worse to use their term. That's my personal belief, but I believe history will prove me right on that one. All right. Uh, does Chesa Bodine come back from this or do you think that era uh, uh, is coming to an end of the George Soros let the criminals kill innocents and I will find a reason to let the criminal go era end. Well, the the progressives certainly want to argue that it was an anomaly, um, yeah. that it, it actually had much more to do with his management style than necessarily a referendum on public safety and certainly um, less of a referendum on the, the reform that they deem and claim is necessary within the you know justice system or the legal system, depending on who you're speaking you know to or about. I, I think that th there are some interesting um, aspects to that. So Todd Spitzer down in Orange County uh, won his race uh, resoundingly well uh, with a fairly you know uh, easy victory um, and, and against sort of that that model of the the, the Boudin Gascon mold. Uh, right, right, where, but, uh, Karen, is it true that most recalls really fail, that Bodine being ousted is actually more of an exception than the norm, right? Generally speaking, recalls do fail. So yes, the fact so that he actually was successfully recalled is indicative of 
evidence that he was just needing to go for, for so many reasons. Whether this is going to start a wave of successful recalls, that remains to be seen. We, we don't have the data, but this, this, at this point it is anecdotal because it's one successful recall. I'm chuckling uh, because we don't have the data for the Gascon recall. And I tweeted out the Fox News, actually. I only have a few thousand followers. But you know, hit that, that dot and their thing. It's like, where are you, have y'all actually seen any data? You know, do y'all know how many signatures are actually need, needed versus the time allotted to get them? Has anybody done any investigative reporting on your end? Because it seems to me all you are getting is what the uh, a group is telling you. And obviously it was much shorter than that. But, but at the end of the day, people are just assuming that the signatures are there based off that group coming out and stating they were on track. And, and I think that, I, first of all, that's terrible PR because you don't want the masses that they go, they're set with signatures because that makes it harder to get more signatures. What's your take? Do you think this, oh, oh one, before I get to the question, uh, 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 I follow what you're saying about management and all that, but the truth of the matter is the voters have no clue about management style, the people there, uh, 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 things of that nature. They're just voting on what they see happening on the streets. So I don't think I buy the leftist uh, excuse for that, but am I wrong? Is there any reality? I don't see the connection, but, but, but if there is one, how does it connect it to him and to the average voter going, I don't like his management. I'm not voting for him. Right. I don't necessarily know for sure that it's going to be the average voter per se, but I think that it, it drives the narrative and the discussion. So who's out there saying that Boudin is problematic? Well, much like kind of like with Gascon to a degree and to kind of answer that question also, you're hearing a lot of these things coming out of the district attorney's offices. And so from the, the offices where this management is taking place, from the other electeds that have to interact with his office, have to work with him, whether it's the sheriff, whether it's the city attorney, whether you know it's city council members that are, are getting blowback on this, they're the ones that could be talking about, you know, the, the, if you will, that management component that drove those individuals to tell constituents that there's a crime problem and getting them to think about it and see it in the light of why they want to recall him for their own personal reasons. So it's kind of who starts the process off and why. I get that. But honestly, I think what it boiled down to was going on social media. Facebook, Twitter, wherever, and just seeing video after video after video. Uh, uh, I buy what you're saying, but the percentage of those people, I would sit there and classify as negligible because uh, it's my, but I don't know. I'm just guessing. Right. I'm, I, I'm not quite sure that we're saying the same thing. I'm saying that the person that's, it's like starting a game of telephone. And by the time the message gets to the voter, it might even be a little different than what was actually started. But what started the game of telephone was the fact that Boudin was failing in both administratively and prosecutorially. And prosecutorially has much more of the, you know, kind of sexy ring for the average voter. But what started it off and what got the money going for it had to do with those who were not happy with perhaps his management style. That's, that's what I think was being communicated as to 
why Boudin was recalled by the left, whereas the, the right is certainly going to say no. For To get a 60% majority, maybe that's what started it, but that's not what finished it. And I think that's what you're saying. I think that it doesn't matter what started the recall off. What finished it was the right, fact that 60% right, right. of the electorate became frustrated by his lack of prosecution. And, and I so think, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, it, I think it, too. it was an electorate because my analysis isn't because I'm a conservative and I wanted to be like that. My analysis is based off of human nature, how flowed. I think you hit on the head. It may have started like that, but then once the videos flowed, once the crime, once the person was mugged, beaten, taken to the hospital, told they had to pay it all 100%, obviously being facetious, but I think all that, that's what kind of sealed it. Uh, 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 and I said one final comment, but I lied. What do you think of the irony of his campaign being a George Soros funded multi-billionaire campaign and then him accusing right-wing billionaires of destroying them. And his accusation was based more along the lines of class warfare. See, it was the rich billionaires who don't like what I'm trying to do to help you doing it. The irony being his campaign was funded by a billionaire. I'm not quite sure if that was a question or if it was just a statement. I, 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 a statement I, in a sense, what do you think of that story that he's trying to spin? Well, I think that he was caught in a lie on that because the reality is, is that this is San Francisco, that the numbers don't even match up for that. So had, it, I mean, again, tracing the money, you know, that's a little different than tracing the votes. But but the reality is, is it yes, there is certainly a, a hypocriticalness to, and a hypocrisy to, you know, who's funding whom, but but the reality is, is that Republicans weren't the ones that elected him, nor were they the ones that recalled him because it's San Francisco and the, just the percentage alone of, of Republicans in that county is, is minimal, so. Right, right, right. And the final caveat is a Latino. Uh, I grew up in a world where police corruption is everywhere. And I think that's why most Latinos have started being fleeing the Democrat Party because we come here to this country, are born or raised with the values of law and order. And that's all we want, meaning we want a safe space with those who can protect it and create the safe space, i.e. the community, uh, a law and order. And, and, and I think uh, at our core as humans, that's what we all want. I, I've said Latinos, but what I'm talking about people who come from these countries and dictatorships, you know? Certainly, certainly the Asian hate uh, component was, was definitely a factor. And, and you know, we even see that, you know, in Los Angeles with hate crimes there and, and the, the fact that there is not necessarily the prosecution that needs to be taking place for them. Uh, real quick, just to answer your other question about your uh, tweet on uh, that that Fox post um, as it relates to um, the other Soros-funded DA just gone. Uh, like I say, I think it's going to come down to verification right, right now, and, and that's what we're not hearing um, a lot talked about. There's about 27 days left, and uh, it, it's really going to come down to the number of verified signatures. It's going to be uh, what's the word? It's just going to be, uh, I don't know the word, but it's, it's, if, if we don't, if they don't get the signatures, it's, it's, that's catastrophic to our side. And again, that to me, this is me, not Karen. That to me is the incompetence of the Republican party, the C-A-G-O-P. And I'll leave it at that. We got a lot of other well, reasons. The GOP is really not involved terribly. Although, although today actually there was uh, one connection that was made with uh, uh, Jessica Malone Patterson coming out, uh, connecting the Hotchman AG race a bit uh, to uh, the Gascon recall. So ever so slightly, but uh, well, let's the, get into that race. Let's get into it. That's an attorney general's race. I so will for, be honest. 
uh, I'm so disgusted in Republican Party and, and my little group on Facebook that I run, Eric Early was the only guy who uh, was actually promoting. So, and I don't watch the videos, but before I post them and all, I watch a few minutes and I didn't vote for him because I liked him. I'm like, he was the only one to me that was getting out there to the people. And this is the primary. So I don't mind throwing a little wrench, making things a little exciting. Sue me, call me any names. I know when and who I want to vote for. My vote has to be earned. And I guess what I'm trying to say is none of the other candidates even attempted to earn my vote. I, I didn't hear from them. I didn't, I'm sure they sent mailers, but to me, that's the most useless way to communicate. You know, so if you're, you know, so I gave Eric Early my vote. Now, most people are going to disagree with that. And I'm not going to argue because I didn't give him my vote per policies or anything. I'm like, it's a primaries. You know, uh, I don't like how the CAGOP is running things. I'm going to give the grassroots conservative my vote. Now you can tell me how dumb that was. But well, what you were telling me is it's a race right now. But yeah, well, it's definitely a race. And I won't, I won't call it that dumb. I, I will say that. It, it does play potentially into what the Bonta narrative was trying to be. Um, you know, there basically when we last talked, we talked about the fact that there was actually an independent expenditure, an IE, uh, that was funded by uh, Bonta's uh, supporters. So that the current incumbent, that the, the Democrat incumbent uh, Attorney General Rob Bonta, um, has supporters who were funding a a PAC and a, an independent expenditure um, to push. Uh, Eric Early as his opponent. Um, the idea being, and, and this is what we, we saw in the, the recall election with Newsom, we even saw it with Newsom a little bit in, if you will, choosing his opponent now um, for the, the gubernatorial race, is this attempt to marginalize and this attempt to polarize and divide the party, the partisanship, even in a, a far greater capacity than is already present. And so the, the suggestion is, is that Early is the most extreme candidate. The suggestion is, is that Dolly's the most extreme candidate. The suggestion is, is they want to run against the candidate that they can paint, if you will, in the worst light possible, whether Absolutely accurate correct. or not. And, uh, and they're going correct. to do that with any candidate. And I think we spoke a little bit about this. I mean, they did it with Mitt Romney for crying out loud. Okay. You know, you know, th they had him, you know, painted into, you know, just this, this horrible picture yet now, you know, he's, you know, the, the sane and rational, you know, Republican that they can sometimes, you know, sway. So th they, they, they certainly uh, are, are fickle in their definitions for, for what's going on based off of what suits their agenda at the time. Yeah, you know, you're right. you're right. Uh, the fundamentalist vote is like the hardcore leftist vote, meaning their issues, they're not going to they're not going to move from they're not going to compromise. It's what they want. And there's just not enough of those people in the state of California or across the nation. For the most part, you got to go to places like Alabama where that dominates. And I'm not knocking fundamentalists. My mother's a fundamentalist. My sisters are fundamentalists. I'm not. But I understand that word. I understand those beliefs. And I respect those people, just as I respect a, a leftist who is passionately believes in their beliefs. Uh, I just have issues when they want to rule us and not compromise. So that's why I believe Bonto wanted Eric Early. But at the end of the day, uh, again, I'm speaking for myself, but Part of the problem is the GOP, the CAGOP abandoning certain candidates like that instead of going in and fighting for that. And I first saw that with Bill Simon decades ago. You know, the powers that be didn't want because he was a very he was an odd, odd duck. You know, uh, he just seemed odd. You know, uh, a he was a good guy, bit. though. I would agree with you. Yeah. 
you know, super rich guy that I think self-made entrepreneur from a family or something like that. But uh, uh, that's when I first saw it. So Eric Early, uh, what I'm trying to say is, while I said all this about the fundamentals uh, 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 and hoping they can compromise a little because there's more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, I shouldn't have said it that way, the way the world is politically correct. But it also falls on the, the CAGOP abandoning uh, uh, it, the people who win the primary because they don't see exactly eye to eye. And that's one reason I truly believe this state is so deep blue, the red wave is going to happen across literally almost every state in America but California. And I don't count the congressional races as part of that, the, the red wave here. I'm talking statewide, locally. Uh, uh, all right. So tell me then, you said that about Eric early. Was that the outcome that was predicted or was the CAGOP a little shot? And after it's said on after it's all said and done with all the ballots remaining and all that, can Eric Early pull out the upset and get in the top two? I don't know the numbers. So, 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 right. so, that's so, okay. So, so Bonta definitely has the number one spots utterly secured. Uh, right now, Nathan Hotchman is is edging out Eric Early uh, by about, I think it was last time I looked, I think it was about two and a half percentage points. Ooh. So it really kind of depends on which ballots are still to, to come in. Uh, if, the remaining ballots, and again, this is a statewide race. So I, I heard, for example, in Los Angeles County that all of the, the day of votes actually ended up being cast. Most of your day of votes are probably conservative, you know, uh, ten, the tendency to want to vote in person on election day, et cetera. So there's a pretty good likelihood that in LA County, the more conservative ones probably were cast. However, you know, the mail-in ballots that came, uh, I, I think I also heard um, a spec that basically said about half the mail-in ballots that came prior to Tuesday. So people held on to their ballot and didn't drop it in until Tuesday, you know, obviously that hasn't been counted either. Anything that they had received prior to Tuesday, about half of those have been counted. So the, the general sense right now is, is that it seems as though Democrats have actually been getting their ballots in earlier. Republicans have been holding on to theirs a little bit later. So early is certainly hoping that there's going to be a, a swell of that more conservative uh, Republican vote to, to push him over the top. Hotchman right now currently leading. Hotchman having issued a statement basically saying that he sees himself cautiously advancing into the top two. So the, the CAGOP uh, issued a statement almost right on the heels of that, talking about public safety, law and order, and the kind of support um, that they're mustering for, for Hodgman. Gotcha. Uh, you don't have to answer because because everyone has a right to vote in private or whatever the, 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 the law says or whatever, you know. But did you have somebody you liked in here in that race? I actually did like Schubert. Um, mostly I liked Anne-Marie Schubert because I really do think she would have been the most competitive um, against Abanta. Uh, now I think we're going to be looking at a very partisan race, and, and I think that we'll see it fall along the same split that we're going to see every other uh, seat in California, with maybe the exception of controller. Uh, you know, I, I think I think had there been maybe just a little bit more of a mix up where there aren't just straight Republican, straight Democrat partisan seats, you know, would have gotten people to pause maybe at least a little more slightly uh, when they get to the controller race. Um, but now with there not even being a no party preference voter advancing, most likely, again, your, your partisan label and partisan description is still pretty much the number one indicator for, for how people have a tendency to vote. 
you know, I, I don't want to, I want to move on, but you mentioned Schubert. And the reason I don't want to move on is because we did talk about her a bit yeah. last cycle. She is the MPP. You were convinced she could get the job done. I think, not that I'm pitying you, you weren't convinced she could win, but you're like, it's, it, she's got more support than we may think, et cetera, et cetera. You're like, this is what I always say. The underlining pinnings that we don't really see on the surface may have been there for her. <clears throat> I because uh, that's what I've been that's saying. Just to be clear on what I was saying, I was saying that if she could advance to the number two position or if she could advance to the general election, I think that she would have been able to give Bonta uh, a race that we aren't necessarily going to see with the partisanship. Right. Uh, the right, question right. of how much support she ever had going in, we, we discussed the strategy that that was there and whether or not it was going to be effective. And really, um, in, in regards to that, what, what happened is, is that the, the campaign and, and, and she and they needed to split the Democrats more than they did. And that was the problem. There was a monolith of Democratic support for Bonta, and they weren't able to drive a wedge between the, the liberal left and that more moderate Democratic support. The, the individuals in San Francisco who voted recall for Bodine should have been the exact same model and mold that Schubert was looking to pull over into her column. And that was not successfully delivered. I agree. Uh, yeah. I agree. I, I, I think my take is that uh, these MPPs are outliers. Steve Poisoner will go down in history as uh, one of the greatest wins as an independent uh, when he won it that year because they're outliers. And the reason I say that isn't the pound on you to say I was right is, is, is the party machines how strong they are and not necessarily in money they get or what they push out to us, but in how the constituents, there's too many constituents. And I've seen this firsthand with a lot of my wife's clients, my wife's a cosmetologist, 10 zillion clients I've met over the last 20 years. And they're, they're great when I start asking questions or I'll, I'll give her something, I want this answered because she's very diverse uh, 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 in her clientele. And most of them, they just vote their party ticket. You know, and, and and I think that's what we saw here because on paper, Schubert sounds like everything you said, but she only got 8% of that vote. To so, be clear, Poisoner advanced in the year that he did as an NPP because there was no Republican that ran against him. Uh, right, right, won, right, but it doesn't matter. And does when it? he won, I think he had a partisan label, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right, right. But at, at the end of the day, he advanced. <laughs> You know, because each scenario is different. Uh, uh, it's like a Super Bowl game. If the opposing team doesn't have their star quarterback, 20 years later is, is, is when they start talking about that, only the hardcore are going to remember that. Most people are like, man, Tom Brady got his 20th ring. You know, that's what they remember. So perception versus reality rules the day. And that actually goes with what I'm saying. I think the Poisoner victory was given a little bit of a more oomph than probably should have been to some MPPs uh, this go around. I'm not saying I'm right, but what I'm saying is that was a factor that may have attributed to certain hope with MPPs this go round. But all that said, I guess I don't blame it because we've been so disappointed in various ways with our own party, including Democrats with theirs, that we're starting to look at MPPs uh, uh, with hope. Do you think Schubert has a career after these primaries? I think that there's probably still a niche for her. Uh, you know, I mean, she's not running for district attorney because she was running for attorney general. So the Sacramento district attorney race is, is very different than, you know, what it would be if she, if she was involved in that race. I don't know uh, what her plan is now uh, for, you know, where she will go from here. Will she run for another office? No idea. 
Yeah, I can see you're probably wanting to rebuild, get back into that local office and then uh, check out where she stands. Uh, can the Republican Party unite? Because they rarely have in this state when conservatives and establishment go to battle. And you see it in the votes, you know, the apathy, the turnout. Uh, uh, that's why I don't vote uh, Republican. I vote conservatives. Uh, and it's a direct result of the CAGOP and, and combined with some national politics. Uh, but that said, can the Republican Party and conservatives come together uh, 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 if it's uh, early, who wins it, or if it's hot? I guess what I'm asking is, whoever the winner is, can the other side matter. come together? It won't matter because, I mean, we, even if you get all of the Republicans to turn out in support of the candidate, it it's a 60-40 split. That's the problem with the, the partisanship of the statewide candidates, and it's the reason why CAGOP is relatively checked out of those statewide races and is focusing on the congressional seats. Yeah, yeah. I uh, got a got a text from a, 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 a newspaper reporter yesterday. Who do you like in the governor's race? And I text it back. Does it matter who I like if it's not Newsom? I mean, if this, who's going to even compete with them, you know? And, uh, 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 and real quick on the governor's race, no surprise. Newsom ran, ran away with it. The CAGOP is probably not going to put a lot of money into DAW, not because they don't like DAW because it's a non-competitive race. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're going to agree because that's kind of what you just said, right? The CAGOP is definitely going to focus on, on the congressional seats. Um, they, they also have a little bit of, of another problem that that's happened because of the jungle primary um, in, in, a, in a couple of different ways. Uh, a, the, the jungle primary caused for the loss of a Senate seat as a result of this, or at least it sure looks that way. Senate District 4, a hardcore red Republican district is going to most likely, unless there's some sort of radical change, but it would be pretty significant at this point, going to end up being a dem on dem race because there were two Democrats that ran and five Republicans. So even though you have a conservative enough district to have elected a Republican senator from District 4, there's not going to be a Republican on the general election because of that jungle primary and because of, again, the inability for, for Republicans to work and play well with each other and figure out that five Republicans versus two Democrats, even in a district where they, they have what would, would have been a majority, uh, isn't going to allow them to advance when the primary turnout was so low and there it didn't flood with enough Republicans to advance at least one to go forward. Yeah, yeah. That happened here in an assembly race AD 66 or 76, uh, where uh, uh, Pete Wilson's uh, uh, son uh, lost the race. And there were shenanigans there. There was a, a fake woman said he did something to her at a bar. Uh, uh, like a week or two, and uh, it kind of tilted it. It turned out to be false, and she's she's a what do they call a perpetual liar, you know? So so we lost that. But but again, I got involved in 2015. For people out there, if you want to get involved, it's not hard to get involved and get into the heart of the party. You meet all the players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this is a scenario I see playing 70% of the time. Too many people in one race. The Republican Party goes to the, the, the conservatives, dictates them, get the bleep out. They don't offer nothing. They don't sit there and say, we'll groom you or you work with you or nothing. Get the bleep out. So what's that do? Oh, go bleep yourself. And it creates that scenario. Now, I'm not saying that's every time, but that has a lot to do with it. The arrogance of party leaders. So I look at that loss and that's on the CAGOP because it's their responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen. And sometimes I admit it's going to be no one's fault because you have stubborn candidates. But again, 
as a third worlder, as an American citizen, seeing a dictatorship, I'm like, well, that's our candidate's right. And I'm not going to take it away from him. I may not like it, but I'm not going to denigrate him, et cetera, et cetera. So I get passionate about that. No, I, I, I'm not disputing what you're saying. I, I actually would hope that it wouldn't necessarily be, if you will, party leaders that are going to dictate this or that are even necessarily, I mean, maybe try to mediate it a little bit, at least get the candidates in a room together and see if there can't be some reasonableness amongst themselves um, to hash it out. Have at least an analyst show them the math of there's this many Republicans. This is the turnout that's going to be likely in this scenario. Divide that by what you presume your vote share is going to be and show them that they essentially are, are going to be defeating what they claim is their own cause. That then you still have an ego issue and, and that may be a, a bigger factor. But again, I don't think it should be party you know, leaders that are the shot callers, but I do think that you have candidates that either don't recognize the, the, the severe reality of their actions or they, they aren't aware enough of the reality of the district as it relates to the, the results that are gonna come out of it. Right, I have a simple belief. It's a teacher's job to teach. It's a student's job to learn. The responsibility is incumbent on a student to do his homework, study, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's a teacher's job to teach that kid. On a ship, it's a commander's responsibility no matter what happens. In this situation, it is a Republican Party's responsibility. How they do it, uh, uh, based off what you just said, hey, I'm all for that. Whatever works. Bring in the analysts. Do this. But here in San Diego, they do none of that. Yeah, they do. Oh, and we saw again in the, the BOE race, so the Board of Equalization race, uh, District 4, again, a district that could have potentially gone Republican. I mean, you know, it would still be a fight, but too many Republicans ran. And right now in BOE District 4, it looks like you're going to have another Dem on Dem race. And so, uh, again, the, the, those, those slivers of opportunities that Republicans or conservatives have, even to advance to the general, that jungle primary that we discussed, especially in our last, you know, segment in our last show, uh, you know, just really has, has taken kind of a, a brutal hit uh, on a couple of seats. Uh, that there was even a you know, kind of a question as to whether or not uh, the Assembly District 34 um, is going to go um, R on R. It's a super oh, wow. Republican district. And uh, it was actually, it's actually being kind of fought over by uh, two of the Republican Assembly members, two of the rare Republican Assembly members that we actually have, Tom Lackey and- uh, uh, Oh, is it Smitty. Tom Lackey? Uh, I mean, uh, he's, Tom a big Lackey. Name. he's a big name yeah. in California. Or yeah, Republican. and um, uh, Smitty Smith. Uh, uh, well, yeah, he, he, he's a first term um, assembly uh, member. So the, the thought initially going in was that it was going to be an R on R race because it was so Republican. It looks like it might eke out that way. It's super close between them now, uh, it, depending on uh, what happens actually are tied in percentage points and they're, and they're tied for first and second. Oh, uh, but that, but uh, the Democratic opponent uh, is very close um, to taking over one of those two spots. As of last night, um, that actually changed this morning. Last night, uh, it was going to be a Republican and a Democrat that was going to advance. We weren't absolutely certain which Republican, but it, it's going back now and looking like we'll probably see an R on R race um, in, in 34. That happened here in my district for congressional with Isa and about three or four <laughs> other Republicans and Camp Nujar, uh one came in first in the primary, but we're so red at the end of the day. It's changed now. We, you know, it's not as red as it used to be. But uh, uh, we had two heavyweights 
and they advance easily. Marie Wadring getting about 60%, Randy Vogel getting about 40%. And uh, uh, as I've said, I've chosen the side and I'm going to hold that back until uh, I see if they want to work with me. Because I believe it or not, they view me as a community leader out here. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I, I remember the first time I got a phone call from a big wig. And, and I'm thinking, why are you calling me? And then they wanted me to do this, this, and this. And then I go, well, don't you have people there who already do that? And this is when I started to get angry at the Republican Party. Well, we do. They're assigned. We got central committees, but they don't do their jobs. And I mean, he was just being purely honest and thank you for him. And I just held my tongue because he was just relaying a message. Uh, actually, he was the big way I was in, so I wasn't going to you know, piss him off. But I, I just got anger. I'm like, that's why we lose. People want to get elected like central committees or they want to watch it. Then they don't want to do the actual work. They just want to go socialize at the GOP monthly meetings, at the fairs, events where they come in. Yeah, I'm doing this, doing this. In reality, they haven't lifted a darn finger. All right. So uh, the controller race. Talk to us. First of all, again, for the audience, what is a controller and who are the, the, the main players here and how's it looking? So the controller is essentially kind of the chief financial officer, if you will, of the state of California. Um, they are the ones that sign the checks. Um, if you get your you know, check back for a income tax refund for the state, uh, things of that nature, they also sign the checks going out you know, as well. So they, they are kind of that fiscal check and stop on, on much of what um, transpires in the enormous California state budget. Uh, I actually um, I didn't actually see the second person to advance. So if you have it there, um, you uh, may need to uh, go ahead and mention it uh, because uh, the candidate that I'd you know, been watching and that had been most specific, I, I think it was Malia, if I'm not mistaken, but but don't hold me to that um, as the uh, other candidate um, to, to go to the top two. Correct. But Malia Lady Chen um, is... Right. But uh, uh, Lainey Chan is really the big, uh, you know, kind of talking point that, you know, has certainly come out of this um, as the Republican to advance. And I think actually even take the, the number one spot in that. Uh, again, picked up the LA Times endorsement. There's been talk of the fact that there should be, you know, some kind of a check on uh, just a, a state system that is just radically and, and, you know, super majority democratic that, you know, you know, the Democrat Party has that hold on that having at least one state officer, you know, one uh, constitutional state uh, officer that is not of the majority party um, could at least serve as some type of check on that supermajority. Right. Here's my issue with that race. I just talked about the congressional race here with ISA. There were three other major Republicans in terms of known name brands here. And, and, and they split the vote, but still ISA went on and he shellacked him, but it was the second time running against him. So, so that was statistically speaking, that was the norm, but it's exact, it's exact same situation here though, in a way, because Chen was the only Republican. And what makes this race fascinating that, that our audience may not realize is that Chen won. I mean, you don't really win the primary advance, but he won by a lopsided number. Usually the lopsided winner is a Democrat with the Republican that advanced at a 60-40, 70-30. As you say, we know what's going to happen. But in this race, it was Chen, the Republican, who came in number one with uh, about, about 30, was it 38%, if I'm correct, and Malia Cohen with 21%. But here's the kicker. There were there, there's either three, there's either the three or four. Dem I want to say four Democrats in that race and one Green Party member. But my point is, whether it's three or four, they all split that vote. So to me, this is 
we're hoping for a i'm hoping for a competitive race because statistically that's what i see happening i see the democrat vote split and the republican challenger's job here is how does he keep it split and and take some of those votes his way for the well not necessarily split but how does he take some of those votes for the general that's the challenge for chan is not for all those votes that went to the other democrats the, to go into uh, 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 Chen this fall because uh, 21%, I, I don't have in front of me the numbers of the other Democrats, but it's logic dictates you add those numbers up and that's kind of what you may be looking at. Thoughts? Right. So I think where, where the issue is, is that it is nice when the Republican is able to advance in that number one spot. But the reality of what we're actually going to most likely see, unfortunately, is that the Democrats that had, if you will, split the vote amongst the, the other four contenders are eventually going to unite against the one Democrat that advances because the Democratic Party realizes that voting is much more of a team sport than Republicans oftentimes play it. And, and we're already at a disadvantage with the percentages that we have. So unless Chen is able to really go after those disaffected Democrats, which again is why having like a Schubert having advanced would have been helpful for him uh, in this regard, because then you would have had people looking a little more closely at the candidates, not at the letter of the name after the candidate. With the entire statewide ticket basically being either you know D versus R, pretty much we're, we're going to see that the Democrats that vote vote Democratic, you know, and vote for the Democrat Party and the Republicans that vote, vote for the Republicans. Yes, no party preference voters, you know, may, you know, actually, you know, be able to be drawn over if they turn out in, in the general election, which they will almost certainly do at a higher percentage than they did in the primary. And, and certainly that's going to be a, a contingency that that Chen needs to get, but that's going to be new voters that didn't vote in the primary. Pretty much everyone that voted in the primary will probably unite around one of the two candidates that, you know, were, were there, even if they weren't the one that they voted for. You know, the silver lining, again, I mentioned this for Latinos, but Chen's uh, Chinese, uh, and 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 they're there to me. Most minorities are misinformed. There's a former liberal who bought into the lies, who bought into the 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 the, the shtick. I think uh, not that Republicans are saints. I'm talking about uh, the candidate himself and what he can do. And if he can sit there and get his ground game going, get into those areas, especially the Asians, where where they can relate to him through culture, through whatever. And and it's an opportunity for him to educate the voter to the financial truths of what's happening with their tax dollars, what's happening with all the money that's been lost. But I think that's very intensive uh, in terms of manpower, uh, in terms of his time. But my belief is simple. If you want to win, you got to do what's necessary to win. And Democrats do that. Our side doesn't. Our side is convinced they can go to the galas, uh, the, 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 the once a month meetings and, and, and get every Republican. Well, the sad truth is, as you alluded to earlier, you get every Republican out of the vote for you, we're still outnumbered. You know? Any final words on the controller race? At the end, okay, uh, if you want prediction, uh, in November, based off your knowledge, your history, and things can change, so I'm not holding you to it. But as of today, who would win that race? In the the controller race? Yeah. The contro 
I mean, most likely it's going to be the, the, the Democrat that advanced Malia based off of everything that we've already just discussed. And unless Chen is able to do something pretty radically different and able to get people to think about that race and able to split off, you know, the Democrats from that and, and, able, and able to, you know, really pull disaffected Democrats over and or turn out no party preference voters at a rate probably higher than we see in his favor. The statewide demographics, I mean, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this about 15 times, you know, that they don't vote well for Republican statewide candidates. So, so. statistically speaking, it's a done deal for the Democrats and they say screw it up is what I'm hearing, you know, based <laughs> off past History. There's a lifetime, you know, before, you know, the November election, but the demographics do not bode well for statewide Republican candidates. Right, right. And, and you're right. Uh, they don't. But I think that's because the CAGOP did not do their job and they can still do their job. And telling me that we have a Latina chair who hasn't lived in a barrio and never lived in a barrio. Don't tell me she's our connection to get the Latina vote because that hasn't happened yet. And then I got until Latinos re-register as Republicans, there's no indication whatsoever that they would vote Republican. Oh, absolutely not true. If they go into those Latinos, Latino barrios they, and they're talking to them, uh, at the end of the day, they, they may not even know how to unregister as Democrat and register as, as a Republican. But if we talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, they will, they can vote. They will vote. But we don't do that. You know, again, I'm talking anecdotally from a coach sample. I can't speak for the Asian culture. I can't speak for Black America, but I can speak for I can't speak for Latinos. But I can tell you my direct experiences in those situations. And it can I mean on the surface you're right, but that's what I mean by where there's a will, there's a way. It's going to take hard work, but somebody's right. got to do it. Somebody's got to start I think, it. I think that the hard work though would come from from re-registering them rather than trying to talk to them on one-off race after race. It's explaining to them that that they do want to look more closely at Republican candidates in general and get them to to think outside of that. Because again, the number one driving factor for how an individual votes is their partisan registration. Right. Um, right. And so, right, yeah. Right. But Karen, you're talking long term strategy. That's a goal is to have more registered Republicans and Democrats. That's I'm talking a battle. It's, it's like. Time stops. Here's the battle. What needs to be done for this battle? Not for the long term of what we hope. The battle is to get that vote. And and and, and if re-registering them into a Republican happens, great. But I don't care if it's a Democrat entering that polling booth, like Ronald Reagan didn't care. He just wanted the vote and got the Democrat vote. Right. But what we're trying to say, though, is, is that unless you're going to do that for every single race that has a Republican running, that's the only way you would be able to to follow that that pattern and that model to get them to turn out to vote a slate, if you will, of conservative candidates. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not concerned with that. I, I'm pretending I'm Chen. I'm not concerned with that. That's the overall bigger picture battle. I'm concerned with my upcoming race in November and what I as a candidate need to do. And there's a very, very distinct difference in that because you're absolutely right. But well, that's a long-term battle headed by the CAGOP county party leaders eventually uniting. Because to go forward with your example one step further, I get angry that there are campaigns that are, uh, work in the same district and they don't work together. 
for petty reasons or money reasons. And I'm like, well, that's another reason we lose. If we can't work together as a party and, and double up, say, our volunteers for certain things, we are our own worst enemy. But I'm babbling now, so let's move forward. I'm not babbling as much as uh, I don't want to get off topic uh, because of my passion too much. Let's get You're over. fired up. That's okay. That's what this podcast <laughs> is about. So there good. you go. Thank you for bailing me out. Surprises. <laughs> Any surprises you, you saw? I was a little surprised by the percentage turnouts for the mayoral races uh, and the sheriff's race in Los Angeles County. Uh, now, uh, Caruso actually did fairly well. Uh, and, you know, okay, Karen, I apologize. Uh, uh, just for the audience, you need to name some of the major players, at least, so we know who you're talking about. Well, I, I, the first one is Caruso. Uh, so, you know, he, he was a, the mayoral race is technically nonpartisan, um, though he was a former Republican who now uh, registered as I think he actually registered as a Democrat, if I'm not mistaken, maybe an MPP. I'd actually have to double check that because, again, it's, it's a no party preference uh, race. He was running against Karen Bass. Um, and so uh, so it's Rick Caruso. Um, he's a, a developer. Uh, pretty much self-funded his race, uh, came in a little late, although people had been talking about him running. When he first jumped in, he was uh, polling at about 6%. Um, but it was pretty quick that that was going to be seen to grow. Uh, Buscaino, who had been kind of that no party preference front runner, uh, eventually uh, would come out um, and back uh, Caruso as well. So Caruso does get the number one spot um, uh, in, in the win for the, the advancement for the mayoral seat. He was really hoping for 50% plus one for the amount of money that he dumped into the race. It was like $36 million um, that, that he dumped in. He'll go against Karen Bass um, in November. Uh, what surprised me a little bit was just that I don't think he's broken 40 yet. Again, the numbers are still changing and fluctuating. Last I looked, I think he was at 38, 39. Oh, yeah, exactly. um, so uh, I, I was kind of thinking that, that he might get a little closer to that 50 mark. Um, the, the other race that I thought that was, uh, and then other, uh, one other contender, um, in, uh, that race was Kevin DeLeon, um, who did stay, um, and really? he, took about he ran in that race. He did. He took about 7% of the vote. Um, the people out there, DeLeon's a very powerful, uh, Democrat in the party, or at least she used to be. Correct. Uh, yeah. He actually used to be an assembly member, um, as well. Then he was an LA city council member and then, uh, began, um, his run for mayor. Uh, uh, Freer and Buscaino both dropped. Freer um, backing Bass, not surprisingly, Buscaino backing Caruso. Uh, the other race in Los Angeles County that I thought was, again, I, I don't think, it, I, I, I definitely didn't see it as being a lock in the uh, primary election, uh, and, and that I, I did see it going on to the November uh, general, but I, I thought it would go on with a little bit higher of a percentage uh, was the sheriff's race. Um, so the sheriff's race had, I think, seven or eight uh, candidates that, that were running. And uh, so uh, Alex Villanueva is the, the incumbent. Um, he does advance. He's advancing with uh, over 30% of the vote. Um, and he'll be uh, going up against uh, uh, Luna. I don't remember his first name right off the top of my head, uh, but uh, is uh, gonna be running against uh, Luna who, who took the number two spot. I kind of thought that we would see uh, Villanueva probably in the 40s as well. Um, because of the number of opponents that he was going against, I, I thought 50 plus one would be kind of a stretch for him uh, to be able to take it in the primary. Both of those though, uh, both of the number one spots are law and order candidates, but they're law and order candidates that, that didn't come through at 
quite as strong of a showing as would be hoped, um, especially, uh, you know, with some of the other, uh, you know, factors and races and, uh, you know, uh, politics that are going on in Los Angeles County. And that's part of the talk that that's come out of whether Boudin is going to be indicative of a, of a change of regime for Gascon as well. Gascon's people are saying, well, you know, you know Caruso and, and Villanueva uh, didn't win their races outright. Maybe there's not as much of that, that sweep for reform in Los Angeles County as we saw in San Francisco, or maybe there's other reasons at play. Yeah. You know, I got to say this, you know, think about Kevin De Leon. Very Latino, huh? Yeah, Kevin, well, who, who are you? I am Kevin De Leon. His real name is Kevin Alexander Leon. <laughs> you know, you have these people uh, uh, in politics today who just, they want, they're so desperate to be seen as something. So for example, you look at me, you're not gonna know I'm Latino. I've got Asian in me, Latino in me. Our family's going from white to black. So I've never done that. So I look at, cause Kevin De Leon, you look at him, you're like, yeah, you assume Latino. You know, or something. But when I see these people change their names and create uh, 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 another uh, paradigm about who they are, I I'm like, you're a fraud. You, you want us to believe one thing and you're not man enough, woman enough to go with who and what you really are. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I just had to throw that out. That's today's Democrat in California nonstop. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to say that there. But okay, uh, those are some of your surprises. Uh, uh, the final question, any hints at what races are the race to, hold on, grab, let me grab my popcorn, hold on, let me grab my beer, the type of races that are going to enthrall uh, 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 the state. The one, I'll give you my, the only thing I see enthralling the state right now are gonna be some local R&R or D&D. But the one thing that will have our popcorn in our hand and maybe end up drinking too many beers in sorrow is a recall Gascon signature count. That's what I'm looking forward to. But in November, uh, what are you looking forward to watching with, with, with great enjoyment? Oh, wow. With, with great enjoyment. A, right? It's really going to come down to those congressional seats, I think. Uh, and again, I think that, you know, we really did see the congressional candidates, you know, the, the Michelle Steele, the young Kim, Mike Garcia, even David Valadeo, um, who, you know, certainly had probably the, the closest, uh, you know, margin um, for his advancement, you know, into the primary. But, you know, th these are the candidates that, that are currently, you know, the, the incumbents that fought hard for their seats, you know, and, and took them in, in 2020 and, you know, want to keep them for 2022. Um, to help, you know, bring that house, um, you know, back over um, into, you know, the, the, the Republican side of things and, and really be able to kind of stand up further um, to, to what we're seeing uh, with the Biden administration, with the inflation, with the Ukraine, with, you know, I mean, in California, we've got water issues that, you know, Congress can sometimes help with, you know, with, with some of the things that they're doing. But, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we still see a public safety issue that is, is, is a nationwide discussion, you know, as well. But, but really that, that those, you know, gas prices, the inflation uh, and the, you know, international uh, instability and insecurity that that's also causing and, and wrecking some havoc with, with those those stock markets and the financial markets um, that come from that insecurity as well, uh, that those congressional seats uh, really are going to be the races to watch. Right. And I agree with you. I would have said it from the perspective of how the CAGOP reacts across the board, because 
there's national politics and there's our, there's our state politics. So we know they're all in and fighting for these congressional seats. And I'm sorry, I don't put any weight into the CAGOP as much as the red wave at the congressional level, you know, more peeled people than the GOP's messaging to convince voters to vote for their candidates. But I am going to see how these candidates use the issues at hand and the interaction of the local county CAGOPs. Uh, this is a time for a movement. I don't see any movement happening in, in California. So, so I, I'm concerned about that. And by movement, what I'm talking about is I see the red wave happening when I talk to friends in North Carolina, when I talk to friends in Alabama, in the Maryland DC district, even though that's probably gonna still remain blue, you're seeing this movement, this anger. Uh, and I'm not seeing any of that here in California. And then now I'm speaking very generally. I'm sure there's aspects of it happening like we saw with Chesa Bodine. But for the Republicans, uh, that's gonna be important to me because my support is really lingering. To, uh, I've come close a couple of times switching back to independent, but I'm sticking with the Republican Party for selfish reasons. It's a, it's a machine. It's the closest to my values. And if I want to get involved and make a difference, that's where I have to go. And uh, uh, our own assembly race is, is going to be one of those R on R battles. So I'm going to see what the Republican Party does. Uh, and, and right now I am doing an investigative piece on one of the candidates in that race. It's not pretty. It may amount to be absolutely zero. But if I'm right, then something happened. And that's what I'm trying to find out. I actually spoke to a reporter and the reporter was thinking it's so juicy. Like, I'll do it if you don't want to. Uh, just tell me what you And I was like, no, I'm just trying to gather information because I don't like corruption. I don't like un uh, backdoor policies. I don't like the common folk being forced into having to have something because a rich district in our area or rich suburb, whatever you want to call it, uh, has ties with our elected leader and they know each other going back decades because of politics. So that's what I'm investigating. And uh, I don't know how it's played out because it takes cojones to do that. Because if I do that, I'm kind of crossing uh, into territory where I make lifelong enemies. So we'll see how that goes. Because first, the opposing candidate, I think, has got to be worth it. And two, the issue may turn out to be nothing. I'm going to bring this issue up regardless, but I'm a fair man. If there's nothing and it's just me being angry, I got to learn how to live with that. That's the problem in our society. We choose not to live with that. And then we radicalize everything. You know, that's why Brett Kavanaugh was threatened because the left. Not just threatened. That, yeah, they, I mean, there was an arrest that yeah, was made. Arrest for murder. Yes, exactly. that, that's yeah. on the Democrat Party. You know, for, in 2020, they condoned, supported the maiming, the destruction of property and the murdering of innocent civilians. And they justified it. They justified all these uh, these protests at these SCOTUS's home when the law dictates, no, you don't allow that. You know, I believe they should impeach Merrick Garland if they take the house for the, not because I don't like him, not because he's a scumbag, not because there's a warm seat waiting for him in hell the day he, he moves to take his next journey. It's because the proof is there. He ignored his responsibility to protect SCOTUS by allowing those people there because by law, he's not supposed to do that. And they knew what would happen. They knew this could happen. I personally believe, once again, myself, not Karen speaking, I personally believe the Democrats are okay with the murder of a conservative Supreme Court justice because what does that allow them to do? Pick their own justice. And I'm not saying that to say it out of hate. I look at what they allow with BLM. 
I look at what I look at how the media defended the shooting at the baseball field. You know, I, I look about at what Maxine Walters Waters said about violence. I look at what Chuck Schumer said about you know, letting the dogs of war. He didn't say that, but it's, in essence, what he's saying, let, letting the dogs of war out. I look at all that and I'm like, you, this is what you want. Yeah. And it's not right. I don't like uh, uh, Sotomayor. I don't like Breyer or whoever else. I don't like any of those leftists, but by God, that's a system we made and we need to protect them from the psycho. Uh, uh, and I say psycho because remember in the 80s, the psycho fundamentalists wanted to shoot uh, 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 up the abortion clinics. That was a big media thing. It was much smaller than what the media portrayed it. But I'm like, yeah, you arrest those nut jobs. Well, Secret Service also did an arrest uh, uh, against uh, somebody that was trying to crash the, the Biden motorcade as well. So you know what? It's kind of equal opportunity arrest of, you know, a Kavanaugh, you know, attempted murder, uh, arrest of us, you know, somebody crashing the, you know, tried to get into the, the, the motorcade for, for Biden. Let's just say that I think we are seeing people very ratcheted up uh, emotionally, whether um, because of just the state of affairs, whether it's the last two years, whether it's the economic state of affairs, whether it's the partisanship and just the amount of uh, divisiveness um, and, and the rhetoric that's there. Uh, but what we are seeing this um, take uh, a, a new uh, turn and, and a more severe turn um, that's getting more and more drastic. And we really do need to dial it back to get right. some cooler heads uh, in play. I agree. I, and people, this is my belief. Because people will go, ooh, that guy's a radical. I'm not a radical. I've looked at what's happening. You know, I come from a third world country where I saw the same patterns, the same decisions, <laughs> the same strategy used. So I'm not an idiot, but I'm not going to put my beliefs on somebody else. Karen, thank you for coming up, coming on Fired Up again to everybody. To see this episode, any previous episodes, we're also releasing a slew of new podcasts. We got TNT, which deals with baseball, fantasy baseball. Uh, uh, that's guys in major league sports, not men fantasizing about women, Karen. Just to let you know, <laughs> I, I might be a political junkie, but I'm I'm not an idiot when it comes to sports. And let's go there Dodgers. Go. I might have go. as well. And, so. and we got our points on the board. Karen comes on here a lot. We've got you, we, we, we've got your handle. Go to sportsgrumblings.com to find these podcasts, to share them. And Karen, again, thank you. We're going to have you on uh, probably within the next couple of weeks because what we're going to do, what I'm going to do is look at some of these closer races and what fascinates me are the R versus R, the D versus D, and, and maybe looking more deeply into that, the attorney general and the controller races to see if there's a way we can find a silver lining and a potential strategy. Not that they'll follow it, but that's what makes all this fun. Karen, thank you for Definitely. coming on. And we William, will thank you, you so much time. for having me. An absolute pleasure. Always good to, to you know, be politically fired up uh, on the show. So, uh, and, and, and to see the fired up passion as well. So thank you very, very much for having me. And America, until next time, good night. Good night.